welcome to the Insatiable Lust for Life with Stephen North. Hello everybody and welcome to the Insatiable Lust for Life. This is Stephen North and what an extraordinary day it is to be alive. I am sitting here with Janine Keel and we made an attempt to record with this new version of the software that we're using and we had issues. The topics we were talking about were quite different. We were talking about our experiences with things like the unknown and when she said, oh, what are we going to talk about today? I thought, no, I don't know. What do I feel like talking about? But it's kind of interesting because earlier I... uh, Today's been quite busy. Went to the gym, did uh, did you know, did weight session, trying to uh, burn off the COVID fat. And uh, life is, I don't know, life has turned, life has changed. But I was sitting there going, I get home, and I have a walkthrough. It was meant to be like a thirty-minute uh, call, but it was an, ended up being an hour call going through this server software that I've recently uh, invested in. And that's allows me to host websites and pretty much run my own web hosting company and, uh, like partnerships arrangements. I give the customer service, all this sort of stuff. And it's quite a very interesting system. But then the person that was owns the business, very intellectual, and you could hear him like that there's just so much wisdom. You know, he could do a WordPress a website migration in less than seven minutes. And he was like, this is how I do it. Bang, done, bang, done, bang, done. And it's like, and he's sharing his wisdom, you know, showed me do it. And there I am buying software to do migrations because I thought it was so hard. And he could smacks it out and just shows me how he did, does it. Because on average, I can do a migration in seven minutes. But what was more interesting apart from all this nerd talk, was that I still have no idea what I'm doing. I'm building a... I don't know what I'm building. I'm building something. I'm creating. My business partner is Amy. And yet, I'm trusting that whatever I'm doing is the right thing. I've invested so much money these past year, thanks to the pandemic with the government giving... um, you know, unemployment benefits and increased funding, and that's just been the most greatest thing because it's allowed me to, to build a business. And I used to be thinking, like, I joke about it, going, oh, you know, I'm doing this hustle and I got told off for using these words, and it's like when the universe is coming together to give you what you need to build a foundation so you can build, so you can do something more, like claim that birthright. And it's, I know I just digressed off topic, but because of all this, I'm sitting there going, what exactly am I building? I've got investments over here, investments over there, investments over here. I've got server hosting. I've got web software. I've got all these licenses and tools and thousands and thousands of dollars have been spent. And I'm about to migrate my first customer in. Still haven't even set up the software yet, but here I am, my helping businesses, and I've got software, I'm doing adverts, and for the life of me, I would not have been, didn't think I'd be doing this. Just sitting in this state of, and I don't even know how to describe this, like I'm sitting there going, I'm in this state of not knowing, but I'm very relaxed, I'm very intrigued, and I was thinking earlier that this also comes down to Amy's wisdom's teachings a few years ago when I was working from Como doing group sessions on a Friday and was talking about the unknown. I did a seminar on sitting in the unknown because you're going from one reality that you think you know, walking across a bridge that's covered in fog that you can't see anything, there's no lights on the bridge. You don't even know the bridge is there. But you're taking that leap off that bridge and stepping into the unknown. You don't know what's ahead of you, but it's easier to walk ahead because you don't know because you know what's behind you, and that's drama. That's chaos, it's a world falling apart. You can't see to the left or right of you because there's nothing there, just fog. 
and Amy trained us to sit very comfortably in this state of unknown. And all of a sudden we're in it again because we don't know if things are going to return to a state of the way they used to be. We don't know how if people that have no jobs are going to find jobs. We don't know if those jobs are going to be there because so many businesses have had to shut down. We don't know. We don't know. We've got airlines that have gone broke and shut down because they've not been able to pay wages or pay bills. You've got all sorts of stories all over the world of crazy things happening. Look at the fertilizer that blew up. It was like a sonic bomb, like boom. So many people experiencing so many different things all over the world. It's it, it's really sitting, like the world is sitting in a state of unknown. And it really makes one think because a lot of this really contributed to me changing my perspective. You know, um, earlier today, I really wanted to, like, I was sitting there thinking about it and going, all light workers should know better because we've all known We've been saying, oh, we want the shift, we want ascension, we want awakening, we want the blast awakening. Something so small that you can't even see with the eye triggers a global awakening and you're saying it's not good enough. Those that say, oh, I'm an earth healer, I work with the earth, I work with the earth, and you have something that is referred to as an earth ally and you're, and you're off arguing about, oh, it's against human rights to make me wear a mask when you're in the middle of a health pandemic, health crisis. You're doing it so that you can help others from not experiencing and spreading viruses and diseases. And it's just a precautionary thing. It's not going to save, but it'll just minimise that little bit extra just to help a bit out. So it's kind of like you're wanting to talk about unity, you're wanting to bring a world to come together, but these behaviours and attitudes, this mentality is individual and not unity. You know, we're talking about duality in its full glory. And that was what we were mentioning when I went through the US and I got to see it and experience it. And it's really interesting because in order to be the light, you need to know the darkness. You need to know the struggles of humanity to help humanity. You can't help the earth if you've not created the earth. You can't do anything unless you've experienced it. You can read a book and go, oh, I'm enlightened. But no, no. There's a lot of belief systems and structures that are surfacing to be seen to be told that it's wrong. But then at the same time, what is wrong? What is right? What is wrong? Is it according to a common set of belief structures or a belief systems? Like all of a sudden we're arguing about Facebook because Facebook has about them blocking news in Australia. And it's like, oh, Australia, you know, they're blocking right of free speech. And it's like, no, the media is claiming that they bring value to Facebook and Facebook says 4% of what people see is journalistic content on Facebook. There is a belief system that people will have a meltdown if, if they can't find everything that they want on Facebook. Like, I'm serious. This is what's being published in the media. This is what the Australian government has said. If they can't find anything so easily on Facebook, then it's going to be a meltdown because people demand it. And it's like, no, they don't. It is just a fucking statement in order to glorify a position and try and encourage this position that they're trying to put themselves in. It's like, oh, it's so important that everything's on Facebook. Like, seriously, what was the media doing before the invention of the internet? Like, how 
I look at it and I, I look at some of these things and I'm going, you're turning a packet of two-minute noodles that you'd get from a shopping aisle because you're broke and trying to make it look like a five-star Michelin chef dinner because you put a piece of parsley on it and saying that, you know, these rich people or whoever can afford a $4,000 packet of two-minute noodles that's got a sprig of parsley on it needs all this sort of stuff. It's That kind of was a crap metaphor. But anyway, um, it's quite an interesting thing when I'm sitting there going, where is this... Where is all this going? Where is it meant to be going anywhere? Or is it just chaos and drama? Or is it just that, well, someone's whinging, that person's whinging, that person's whinging, so I'm going to have a whinge as well. Like, I went back and started having a look at a few things that Amy has said over the years, like a number of years. You know, writing, reading the first channeled sessions from Amy was quite very extraordinary because once we uh, convinced Jocelyn that she had the ability to channel Amy more than anything else, it, you'd look at the written readings and it's like three or four paragraphs compared to a 30 minutes to 60 minute channeled session. So it was a lot more information was able to come through in speaking than what it is in writing. And a lot of this, what she was saying is that a lot of what we are experiencing on this planet right now, I've already done. I've experienced it before on another planetary system. For everyone else, it's new because it's the first time that they've experienced it, but it's not the first time I've experienced it. And it's quite a very interesting thing because it's like when I was driving home on the, in the from the gym today, and it was kind of like I was sitting there thinking, going, if I've experienced this before, who experienced it? It wasn't Stephen North that experienced it in human form. It was Omto in the soul form. And we talk about ascension and descension. And a lot of the things that I've been thinking over the years is, how can we get rid of the human aspect uh, where that has the amnesia and everything and ha truly have the soul step into the physical form, not an aspect of the soul, but the full wisdom that you can turn around, that I can turn around and say, well, this is my design of the earth. I can, you know, this is how we did it. This is how we built it. This is how we created it. And this is what I designed it for. This is the way I've designed this. This is the way I've designed that. Or is it that, I don't know, it's just something that I've been working, like exploring with, like how can I awaken more and more of me and merge it into the physical form? I know I've bounced about six different topics in the space of 10 minutes, but these are the things that we've been thinking about. And this is why like, you can see that I'm trying to explore life in a completely different way. But at the same time, I stopped doubting these these experiences because of like, oh, you know, it's crazy. Who are you to say this? And who are you to say that? Oh, this book says that, you, that God created the earth or someone did this or someone did that. And all of a sudden over this whole pandemic experience when everyone's yelling and screaming, I kind of just stopped caring when I'm just going to say whatever. It's like this whole persona shift and it's like, if well, if they're not going to care about what they're writing and saying, then why should we? It's very interesting, but it's all about shedding, maybe, surrendering, maybe, letting go, maybe, embodying, maybe, sitting in the unknown, maybe. Do we really know who we are? Do we really know what we are? I can turn around and say, oh, yeah, I know who I am. My, my name or my soul name or my name of my consciousness or my identity for my consciousness has is the name of Omto. But who's Omto? I mean, it's a part of me. It's I'm an aspect of it. It could be my higher self. It's like, do we really know how the construct of the cosmos actually works? We're humans. 
We're bitching and whinging about a bloody virus. We're bitching and whinging about a vaccine. We're bitching and whinging about how we're tying our shoes. We're bitching and whinging about the colour of the wall not being correct. We're bitching and whinging about wallpaper falling off and the neighbours who's too noisy. Do we really know the design of the cosmos when we're too busy having a sad? Is the potential there? Perhaps. But what are we seeing in this reality when, or our perspectives when we're too busy being stuck in the noise? Now, I know I've just spoken for 15 minutes and went in multiple directions as the multi-dimensional self that I am. I mean, here, as I said, I'm building a business that's web hosting and email hosting and server hosting and all this sort of stuff, as well as doing web design, as well as doing creative, anything that's creative I seem to be doing. So I'm multi-dimensional, multi-interdimensional, multi-realms. I channel all realms and dimensions all at once. You know, it's, it's normal for me. But I know that prior to having this conversation, as I am sitting here with Janine Keel, as you can see, is waiting ever so patiently for me to shut up. Um, actually took notes on sitting in the unknown and I tried to stir her up saying, you know, well, let's not talk about this topic because, and she's like, well, you know what, I'm going to scribble them out. She put threats in there. She was having a whinge at me saying, if you're not going to do talk about this, you know, I've done some research, I really thought about this topic and I'm going to scribble them out. But, you know, she didn't. Or did you? No, I didn't scribble them out, no. Nah. Well, hi, everybody. I can get my word in edgeways now. <laughs> Thanks, to You cut me off. I was almost finishing. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, All right, I, your turn. I, this morning I was, like, thinking of this topic because, obviously, the recording that we did yesterday, as, as you've mentioned, uh, did not work out. So I thought I'd take the opportunity to contemplate what we've been talking about in, in that recording yesterday and to see what if anything else would transpire from that um, to add to what well what I was talking about yesterday and adding to that today even though nobody's listened to it um, I was I was watching this video of a uh, a lady who runs this particular group on Facebook and she does all to do with poetry and everything and she was sharing about um, poetry and how poetry was um, very much connection with the divine that we used to create spells and it was all done through poetry Poetry is so powerful. It, it's like that. It's like a gateway to the divine. Um, and she was going on about well, what is a what is a spell, and you know, it's like a, a command. And she started talking about how we used to um, trust ourselves. We we'd go to like a wise woman, a wise man, and and they would help us to to trust our innate wisdom, our innate self, our own guidance system. And then as time passed, the patriarchal, patriarchal system came into, into being, which meant that these people were, were persecuted. You know, they were seen as witches. And so that those, in, those wise people were seen as bad and wrong and, and uh, you know evil or whatever, and then this system, this hierarchical system, take, took over. And the thing with that is, it completely disempowered the people because they were learning. They had to. They were starting to trust or depend on this system for to know what to do, to live a life. It's like, oh, the system was like sharing this sort of like, as if it was like an instruction manual how to live. And the thing with that is it's like it stifled 
the creativity is stifled, the ability to trust the wisdom that was coming from within ourselves. It was stifling. Something that I'm very passionate about is our uniqueness, our the what people may class as weird and wacky and very um, avant-garde. And all that because of it, we trusted in this system. It, it, it crushed that. It, it became dormant within us all. And now it's like we have this fear of being different, fear of standing on our own, fear of, of being different, being weird. And when I was at art college, I used to, I was studying like uh, art history and I, and I came upon this uh, artist, he was called Oskar Schlemmer, he was um, a German artist from the Bauhaus and they were all very avant-garde in this particular setting um, because art was very, very traditional at, at, at this point. And this particular group of artists, they were very avant-garde. And Oscar Schlemmer was like a painter, he was a sculptor, he was a choreographer. <clears throat> he created this avant-garde ballet and he'd created this, like, these performances that were like really extreme and weird and wacky, you know, like sticks coming out of the, of, or hula hoops um, coming out of like the costumes. And, and he was very much in working with like the geometric shapes and things. And he was trying, he was showing that in the performances. So the ballet was nothing like what you would, you'd normally see as a ballet. It was, it was totally different. And I absolutely loved Oscar because he was not afraid to be different. He was not afraid to think outside the box, to express um, his uniqueness, exploring something to the extremes in, in, in creativity. And it was really inspired me. It inspired me to think, well, why are we conforming? Why do we follow all these systems and regimes and um, this, this authority, this society? And instead of having the courage to be different, the courage to be expressive, the courage to explore and and then it's and then it, it, it brings us to that that aspect of being in the unknown and it's because we've been so dependent on this and these systems and now they're breaking down that it's like oh what, what do we do what do we do and we're so dependent on the systems and then and now it's like no, they're, they're not. We can see that they're so fragile and they're actually breaking down. And because we've not known anything different for so long, that it's like, what do we, what do we depend on now? And it's like we are being encouraged, like through the COVID, to go back inwards again, to 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 it, embrace the unknown, to rest in the unknown. And this is something I've been, I've been doing recently because of the UK being in a lockdown for so long and it's given me that opportunity but in, even in myself I've found there's a fear of of facing it of, of diving in and, and being there embracing it and actually um, resting in it not even bothering wanting to do anything just being in it because of being so it's been so habitual to to do to follow these ideas, these regimes, these um, these systems that society has has been telling us what to do. You know, like that's the, this, these instructions: do this, do that, and you're not thinking for yourself. And it's like now this is crumbling. It's like. Oh, 
what do we do? You know, and and this is so alien to a lot of people because of, because of this this reliance on this external authority. And and now we've got this great opportunity, but yet nobody really knows what they're doing. Nobody knows what to do next. Um, it's just, it was just really interesting to look at that, to look at how that's, how that's developed, you know, why have we, why have we fear so much of, of being an individual? Because at the end of the day, we all look different. We all have different periods, different shape, size. We all have our different experiences, but yet we all fear, we, people fear this standing out from the crowd, being themselves, unique, different. And this is something that I was really looking at this morning. And, and as I say, this artist was really, really inspired me to, to try and do that. I mean, I still have a lot of inhibitions. I'm not saying, oh yeah, I'll do this and do that. But it, it's just given me that inspiration. And, and now with everything that's happened in regards to the COVID, it, this, is, this desire is coming up even more to stop playing small to start shining and start expressing like these podcasts. At one time, I would never even thought about doing this, to have the, the courage to do this, the confidence to do this. I would just show it. Well, you only like yourself. <laughs> so shine, you know, it's just that, because I realized um, a few months back how much I had not used my voice. I'd it become dormant. That yes, art was something I expressed myself through, but it was like a quiet way of expressing. And I realised how much I needed to to come out of the comfort zone and start expressing. I think I have mentioned this in a previous podcast. How you know I I, I just wanted to come out of the comfort zone and start talking using the voice and starting to share who I really am and not not hide this through fear through like oh I'm, I'm so scared of what other people think you know being the fool and I think this is what this is all about now it's like we're being given the opportunity for me personally I think it's an opportunity to be the fool <laughs> in the sense of Trusting the unknown, playing, being curious, explore, experiment. Because it, at the end of the day, it, it's not about doing something and creating a masterpiece out of it. It's not, oh, we have to learn, we, we have to know how to live. There was this instruction magazine, you've got to live this way, you've got to live that way. There is no instruction manual. It's made moment to moment to moment to moment through us giving ourselves permission to to try something new without the need for it to be a certain way, to have an outcome, a result, destination, just for the pure joy of exploring, the pure joy of experiencing. It's not about any conclusion. And, and that's the thing with, like when we talk about opinions and judgments and criticisms, that is all conclusions coming to. We're saying that that's that. And it's like, do we want to be right or do we want to be happy? What's more but important? Being right makes me happy because I'm right. But if you were choosing... I'm always right. All right, well, you, maybe you, but about anybody else. <laughs> but, you know, when I'm wrong, I'm right. When I'm right, I'm right. So, you know, so I'm always right. No, I. there was something that you said about, not, you know, not knowing. And 
when you're able to observe what is occurring in the world where everyone is trying their best with what they've got, with... When I hear people ranting and raving and going, oh, the governments are corrupt and this is corrupt and that is broken and that is working, and it's from people that are corrupt themselves because every single person is corrupt. You can't turn around and say that you've lived a life of innocence and purity and every you live by the book, that everything is correct because at once, you know, have you ever driven a car and been speeding past the speed limit? Have you ever stolen a lolly from a shop as a kid? Have you ever, you know, done something that really you shouldn't have well you've gotten away with something like oh that person didn't charge me for two drinks i only paid for one oh i'm not going to say anything because that way i can get a free drink like everyone have you ever not gone into one movie come out and jumped in another movie while no one's looking like every person has the potential to do something a little bit mischievous a little bit cheeky you know I'm sure. Have you ever stolen a pen from your workplace in the past? I'm sure you have. That means that you're corrupt because you've stolen a pen from somewhere that someone else owns the pen, not you, but now you've claimed it. I know I stole a few pens from my workplace. I'm still using them after 10 years, 20 years of leaving that workplace. I've got a stationary cup. Anyway, not that I'm confessing to anything, but um, there's this... Like when I've worked in government, there was always these rules, policies. You'd have someone who goes, oh, my director would go, oh, you'd need to come through me. You can't go straight to the CEO. I have the CEO calling me directly going, Steve, my door is open. You tell me what's going on in this agency. And if, I, if something is not right, I will sort it out. She wants to know what's going on because, you know, she's in a position of making sure that, that pub, of the, the government agency is doing the right thing. And then it's my job as a public servant to make sure that everything is going according to the rules, the regulations, the legislation, and to make sure that my CEO's ass is protected from being scrutinised. And when there's something did come up, I would highlight it. When so, and it's these sorts of things. So every single person that I came across was trying to do the best thing that they could with what they knew. And if we didn't know, we would take our time, we would research it, we would investigate it. So here we have a global pandemic of something that we don't understand, the nature of the virus, the nature of the disease. I don't necessarily know. One day they call it a virus, another day they call it a disease, or it's a disease that creates a virus or a virus that creates a disease. I don't know. I'm not a biologist and I'm not going to be sitting in the armchair and become an armchair biologist. But when I'm watching these media posts and everything else and these spear so good whiz full of light workers, spiritual wisdom gurus who are completely not enlightened at all because they're not seeing that every single person is doing the best that they can with what they've got, with the wisdom that they've got, with the understanding of what they've got. And there are struggles and restrictions and limitations when it comes to government because some too goody good shoes has lodged a complaint and then has put a block in something that would have benefited everyone. You know, it's like you can't, you, you can't, you can no longer have, uh, you have to have swings made out of plastic. So because, and it has to be specific plastic because little Johnny burnt his ass while riding down the slide. You know, and, and then so you have to remove the slide so that, and it's all these sorts of different things, but every person is always trying to do the best they can. When I was in government, I tried to do the best that I can. The, the battles and the fights that I had within the government agency with, with stubborn people, with legislation, with contracts not aligning to this contract and other government agencies making decisions and they're saying, oh, well, it's not our job to make this decision because they need to come to us and, oh, they need to invite us. And it's all these politics, stupid, ridiculous, and it made me sick that I ended up leaving the job. That, But there are people that work so hard 
to do the right, and they're doing it because they believe they're doing the right thing. So if every single person is believing that they do the right thing, how is everything corrupt? How are people, how, like, how is it all wrong? You know, just because it's like, I heard a story of someone refusing to wear a mask during a five-day fucking lockdown period, and it's there so that it be, it's there to protect, to keep them uh, safer than not, and to help the safety of others. And then, and there's comments today, like someone goes, "Oh, well, if the virus was so bad, why aren't we throwing our masks in the bin?" And it's like, "Oh, come on." Like, yeah, valid point, but right now, who cares? Because it just, it's, and what, what I was seeing was, and especially when you watch people argue and they get passionate and they get really, really passionate and they're trying to prove a point. But when you have a full spectrum of color, you know, RGB and, you know, black, white and all over and every single multitude shades of colours in between. They'll focus on one point. Like a dot in this full spectrum. And then if they can't argue about that, they'll argue about a different dot, about a different thing over here or a little dot over here or a little dot. They're not looking at the bigger picture. So, like, you've manufactured a car. And someone's focusing on the texture of the handbrake is not adequate for them. But they're not looking at the whole car. They're just saying the, tech, the handbrake is not to their liking. And it's little things like that. So, that did, so they've completely disrespected the car, but not look at the creativity and the magic. And one of the things that I've been doing, and I'm really am really bouncing around topics. It's like follow the bouncing ball and this logical progression of whatever is that. And it's something that I've really started looking at myself is how many people were involved in the creation of this jumper? Jumper cost me $15. But how much, how many people were involved in the invention of this jumper. So we need to look at what's in this jumper. There is a zip. Who invented the zip? What inspired the person who invented the zip to invent the zip? Okay. So we've got the person who invented the zip. They're involved. What's the technology that the zip is made out of? It's made out of... Cotton, potentially, and plastic. So someone's invented plastic, someone's invented cotton, or someone's figured out how to get the plant and turn the plant into cotton, into string, into a fabric, who's then figured out how to colour the fabric because how do we get this grey? But then this grey is in a pattern, so someone's figured out how to create the pattern and put it into the fabric. But then it's like, oh, we've got string. Oh, someone's figured it out. So all of a sudden... There are potentially hundreds, if not thousands, of people that led to the creation of this jumper. But if we follow the, the tree back, when was the creation of the jumper first created? Like, what inspired them? What inspired them to go, well, jumpers usually have no sleeves. This one has no sleeves. Oh, my gosh. Whoever created this jumper with no sleeves thought outside the box. Because... Society has said it's got to have full sleeve, a full sleeve. Like, creativity cannot be stifled. But how many people were involved in this, in this jumper that symbolises unity? And then we go to the shirt. Oh, it's the Incredible Hulk. Well, it's the person that's created the Incredible Hulk, the person that's drawn this rendition of the Incredible Hulk, the printed, the person who created the paint. There's all these different people. When we're looking for unity, all we have to do is look what are, what's around us. Look at the technology that we're using to have this conversation. How many thousands of thousands and thousands of re hours of research of technolo technological evolution 
and into manufacturing and research, all this sort of stuff. How many millions have been invested so that we could sit here and have this conversation on, on two sides of the world and it's free? Like, how much wisdom has been researched and gained and invented and developed and channeled and, and, and to get us to this point where we're having this recording, the microphone, the boom arm, the computer screens, the graphics card, the motherboard, the memory chips, the hard drives, the comp everything, every single little component, the copper, Someone had to figure out how to mine copper. Someone had to figure out what copper was and what they could do with it, the gold. Oh, my God, we could put gold in a circuit board. But circuit, the evolution of circuitry is that was getting so fine that we can't, that we're printing, that we can't get any better until a uni student pops up and has another idea. Can I add? Everywhere we look is unity. Okay, go. You, can, you want to have a turn now. All right. Well, I just wanted to add to what you're talking about because I, in my notes, <laughs> I, I was talking about, you know, I was talking about weirdness and everything and that, you know, um, people can be classed as weird when they come up with some sort of new invention, you know, like, for example, the, the plane or whatever, you know, we're talking about inventing things and how that was probably classed as being quite weird at one point, but now it's become something we really rely on, something that's familiar. But all these inventions and these innovations and, and ideas, where do they come from? They come from the unknown. They come from that, that which isn't in the familiar has to start from, has to be burst from that place for anything to, to be created, to be that idea to pop into your head. We have to be able to be still and, and trust that something's gonna, something's gonna come and arise to give us that spark, that ignition for like you mentioned in, the, in your jumper, you know, like how did we, how did you extract the cotton from the plant and these sorts of things? That, that person, was it just accidental or was it that they were in a receptive state, which means they were in, were in that state of unknown in order to receive that idea? So it all stems from that, you know, being in the unknown to, to receive all this stuff, to receive all these ideas and and um, and, and and again having that courage to try to explore it, not knowing whether it's going to turn out or not, not even caring whether it's going to turn out or not, because it's just the whole idea of uh, that desire just to explore it and try it and this for me is what for me is what life is is that desire to explore something regardless of, of what the outcome is going to be of it but just to see well what if what if I try this what will transpire from trying that what if I do this? What will what will the possibilities be? Will it will it open some new doors for me to go down another route and another route? So we're moving away from this, you know, this one way of doing something. Because how do we ever experience something different or? receive an idea or an inspiration uh, or, a, uh, you know, be, be innovative, I can't say the word, innovative. <laughs> if we, have, we, we make no room for not knowing, 
moment just it's kind of like saying how can you write a masterpiece if all you're doing is playing the same note over and over and over again repeat 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 being in that eat sleep rave repeat eat sleep rave repeat yeah being in the unknown gives us the opportunity to be creative but then the question is what exactly is the unknown do we need to know we we are saying that here we are sitting in the unknown but what exactly is it what exactly is the unknown to be in the unknown makes the unknown known. There is the known unknown and will never be known. That there are multiple not fields. Tangible. But again, devil's advocate is what is the unknown? How do we access the unknown? Do we need to have some sort of mystical powers to access the unknown? Do we need to have some sort of crystal or do we have to be attuned or initiated to be city able to access the unknown? Or is it our birthright as a as a physical form to access the unknown? Like what exactly is it? How do we access it? Or have we been so stripped that this is now claiming our birthright to be creative? question mark that was a question (laughs) oh you wanted me to answer it did you (laughs) prompt nag nudge (laughs) for me it's like a holding field Holding from what? When I say holding field, I mean, and I don't mean a field like your, your field, your physical field, but this space. Like a baseball field? This spaciousness. Uh huh. That isn't anything particular. There's nothingness. Okay. But it's an alive nothingness. It's not. But what if this planet sits in a field of nothing with other planets that sit in a field of nothing? Because what is space? Nothing. Yeah. Like, what is between my hand and this monitor? But you need that space. I can't see anything. Is that nothing? We need space in order to be able to have these, everything within it. to hold all these things to, so that we can experience. If we don't have space, then nothing can exist. But then, you're, but it wouldn't space be physical because I'm holding a crystal, it weighs, it sits on this desk, it wants to go further and further. If you could, it drop fall as far as it can, but it's, it's not sitting here. I mean, it's not gravity. Maybe. I mean, talking about it today, whoever invented gravity has prevented me from being a hoverboard. But what exactly is space? Because I'm moving. I can. It's like I can move my hands through it. Does that mean I'm touching it? I'm not. The, I'm not God, so I can I say <laughs> what space oh, is? Oh, what a cop out! <laughs> oh, you just like, oh, I'm going to remember this. So, how are you today, Steve? I'm not God. I can't tell you. <laughs> Have you paid your bill? I'm not God. I can't tell you. <clears throat> but it's. I know what you're saying. I know the, what you're trying to get at. Is, yeah. What am I trying to get at? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know what I'm trying to get at? I don't know. Okay, then I'll say I don't know. Let's say I don't know. Okay. I mean, it was just, 
it's like these sorts of questions is what I ask myself. Yeah. Because it's looking at it for me. I've looking at exploration a different way. Like okay, like the story of the creation of the planet is that every single experience that was placed into one. If every single experience within the universe was placed into one single spot, into one little beautiful planet that's the third rock from the sun or whatever, Mount Mary, very yeah, third rock from the sun, that's in the f- further space. There's all these experts on this, which I don't even think they're experts. I don't even think they know what they're talking about because it's a reality that was never really created for them to have experience anyway, but they created it. But then if there's all these different experiences that could be shared and witnessed and observed and played with, then perhaps that's what we need to start doing because a lot of people tell me stories about, oh, I had this relationship and some psychic said that this was my twin flame and it turned out to be a big prick. Um, And then it's like running around trying to go, well, I want my freedom and human rights this and human rights that. And you know what I said? One of the questions I said today, actually, and because I love triggering thought. And and it was like, and I can't even remember who I was speaking with, but I was saying, so here, here is a person complaining about human rights and that humans have these rights. They have the right to be served. They have the right for this and the right for that. But because they are so superior, they have the right to dictate and tell animals what to do. They have the right and dictate to destroy the earth. They have the right and dictate to pollute. Like, hang on a second. Who gives them the right to do this? No one gave them the rights. Where did these rights come from? Like, wh- why are we not farming breast milk? Human, I mean, sorry, human chest milk. Got to be politically correct these days. Um, who's? Why are we not farming that? Because why, why are we getting milk from a cow? Like, why are we not farming humans for meat? Because there's no difference between this red meat and that red meat. I mean, how come are we having a roast leg of lamb on a Sunday, not a roast leg of human? So somewhere along the lines, someone has said, okay, humans have the right not to be eaten, but a cow has the right to be eaten. But then a human has a right to, to farm a cow to be eaten, to be murdered for the purpose of our consumption. And I'm not vegetarian either because I love a good cut of meat. But it, it is these sorts of questions that I'm asking and going, why, who, gave, who gave me the rights to walk in and take control of another lifetime to do what I want to do with it? Oh, I want to make money. So I'm going to farm this cow, breed this cow, milk them, kill them, all for revenue. And it's like, well, hang on a second, why can't I do the same to humans? Why isn't the same being done to humans? And it's uh, something that I ponder about quite a lot, especially when I'm watching Fifty Shades of Grey and I'm seeing these beautiful shoulders and I'm like, that'll be a nice cut of meat. It'll be a good steak sandwich. Because to me, it's just a piece of meat. It doesn't matter where it comes from, because we have, you know, we look, we go to the shop, and all we see is nothing but, you know, raw meat everywhere—chicken, mince, beef, lamb. You wouldn't know if it was cut or minced. You wouldn't know. You'd be like, "Wow, this tastes pretty impressive." It's kind of a—it's not controversial because it's a question. Who gave me the right to dictate life over something else? Another question that I've asked is, why is it that we dig these out of the ground and carve them into eggs and penises for self-gratification? Like, why? Oh, because it's a novelty, because it's a fad, because it's for money, for commercialization. And I'm sitting there going, so the earth is growing this, 
for millions of years for humans to say, I have the right to get myself off after I carve it into the shape of a dick because that's my right as a human to abuse that and take that from something that doesn't belong to me. And then I've been watching the Australian Indigenous and the Native American Indigenous and the stories are very, very similar to what's been done to them. And it's like, is, is the Western culture all about take, 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 take? It's, these are the thoughts that I have every day. Like what, and I don't think these big questions are being asked. It's not an agenda to make everyone vegetarian. I mean, as I said, I eat a steak sandwich. But the question is, if we're going to sit there and argue about human rights, who the heck gave them the human rights? Are we just being greedy and selfish? Because do I have the rights to do anything apart from exploring the magical world of what, what's being created? What's, what we take for granted? Like, I went for a walk today to the coffee shop and all I saw was nothing but rubbish being dumped in the bush. And it's like, if this is what humans do to the earth, why do they deserve it? Why do they deserve, deserve to exist on it? Because they can't appreciate it. Very big questions. Too busy focusing on this living life. You know, uh, living that surface level life of going to work, having a relationship, children, holidays, although obviously that's been put on hold because of COVID. And I think that's, and this is one of the great things about the COVID is because it now, it's, it's stopping people in the tracks to see, to start questioning because they're the questions that we've never asked before. We just took, like you say, took it for granted. We just, just lived the life, not really questioned any of it. We took, we just made assumptions that this is right because everybody else is doing it. So I have the right to public safety and public health I have the right to walk and experience the earth in its true beauty, untouched by people dumping their rubbish. But then someone else has claimed that it's their right to dump the rubbish, which means that's violated my rights. Whose rights whose? Who's right? There's some of the questions that I ask, like, oh, it's my right to not wear a mask, but it's my right to walk into the shop and if we're in the middle of a pandemic, to feel safe to walk into the store and not be violated by someone who's refusing it because they believe it's their right to wear a mask. Like, this is where the chaos is coming from. Who's correct? Whose rights are correct? If there's a quality which there is not here at all, who is correct? It, does your right to not wear a mask and my right for you to wear a mask you can never win that argument because there's no answer there's no correct there's no truth there's you can't win because everybody's got their own perspective on it there's no one perspective is there so your perspective oh yeah you should be wearing a mask but then that other person will say no but this, this mask would not, it's not doing me any good. So I don't wish to wear a mask. Or perhaps right, so that, because, or perhaps that person has got a condition and they're medically not wearing a mask because of that condition. But are we aware of that? We've not asked that question. We're just assuming, oh, that person's not wearing a mask. So it's that and on the topic of masks, 
We're going to mask this episode. We're going <laughs> to tape it up, seal it off. And you can continue on with your notes in the next episode because it's coming to that time where time to finish. Yeah. I will. So hope you've you've crossed off at least one of those things on your notes. I think I've said most of them, actually. Oh, there's more to go. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to say, I'm not saying anything because you're going to, oh, I can finish off. All right, this is Stephen North, and I'm here with Janine Keel and a very different, different, different episode this time. So we thank you very much for tuning in to The Insatiable Lust for Life. We thank you for joining in on our conversations of philosophy, psychology, and random musings. And we all hope that you look in the world and see the beauty and the magic of what is really there and what is not really there. This is Stephen North and we thank you very much. Ciao for now. Welcome to the insatiable lust for life with Stephen North.